0: Hello, and welcome to 3-1 to Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Mack. On this podcast, we will dive in with some of the most entertaining guests in sports, business, and religion, and allow them to share their life stories with us. Inspiration for this podcast comes from Ecclesiastes 3-1, which says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. All of our guests have had many wins and losses, triumphs and trials, ups and downs. But all of these seasons have made them who they are and ultimately led them, led them to be successful. Your stories will surely be entertaining as well as encouraging to all of you listening. With us today on the first episode of 3 to 1 is a very special, influential person in my life, Seth Dameron, head football coach of Allen Hancock Jr. College. How are you doing today, Coach Dameron?
1: Really good. Really good. Just got the babies down. So, uh, yeah, even better now.
0: The most epic part of the night.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. It is always an adventure.
0: I love it. Going off that, if I were to tell you that 10 years ago, if I were to tell you that you were a head coach of Allen Hancock Junior College, you had two beautiful kids, an amazing wife, what would you have told me?
1: Um, yeah, you're probably accurate. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what my, uh, I actually always did kind of have the goal of having, um, of being the a coach at a junior college, so that fits two kids. Yeah, that yeah, it's I would say, well, that's not too crazy. You're probably right on, Mac. That uh, what about the beautiful wife part? I know you found her early in your life, but oh yeah, that's a I had that I had that bagged up early. It was no that's yeah no problem because I was married <laughs> ten years. Wasn't I? Wasn't I married? No, I wasn't quite married. I was engaged though, so that would just tell me good. I've I haven't screwed it up, so. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, before before I forget about this, let's go back. Let's talk about your wife. Okay. Let's talk about how you met the great Danica Dameron.
1: Okay. So let me set the stage. It's 2003 in Bakersfield, California. Okay. Um, I am in the training room of of East Bakersfield High, um, Mighty Blades. Um, Yeah, in the training room, I look over, I see this girl. I hadn't seen her before. I was like, I thought I'd seen everybody at the school. I was like, dang, who is that? Mm-hmm. And um, I thought we had a volleyball game that day. And she was hanging out with one of my friends, uh, one of my friends that was a girl. And I was like, she must be from the rival, from, from the other volleyball team or something. So I like kind of blew it off or whatever. Then come to find out she's on our campus. She goes to the East High. It's like, what? And so then I started doing what every high school, you know, red-blooded American high school kid would have done. And I started having my friends hit on her for me, okay, because mm. I was a coward. Um, but it ended up working out, man. Um, lots of long distance along the way. There's We have kind of a crazy story. Kind of, not real crazy, but yeah, kind of a crazy story. We stuck with it through a lot of stuff. And here we are, two kids living on the the sunny beaches of Central California. So, mm. yeah.
0: Well, I love it. I've met Danica a few times. Yep. Most – Memory I have from her is coming over to your house with all the D linemen <laughs> yeah. watching basketball and also helping you guys pack up a um, a moving truck when you got yep. it. This is maybe weird that I remember this, but I remember her. We loaded up a dresser. Uh-huh. You guys kept all the clothes in the dresser and it was super heavy. And like one of the drawers, <laughs> one of the drawers almost fell out and she was. He was kind of embarrassed, <laughs> but it was that was a great that was a great memory. of Danica. Yep. okay, yep. So okay. Let's go back to Coach Dameron. Just talk about a little bit of your early childhood, where okay. you grew up, what your parents did, and yes, yeah, give us a little backstory into your early years.
1: Yeah, so my, um, you know, kind of my family history is, you know, I'm, I'm. From California. I'm from Bakersfield, California, which um, when people hear California, they have uh, some preconceived notions of like, oh, California, like this is where you're at. This is what you did. This is the type of things that you were a part of or whatever, right? You start thinking Mm -hmm. about Southern California and the beaches or the Bay Area or whatever. Well, I'm from Bakersfield. So if anybody that knows anything about about Bakersfield, it's basically the West Texas of California, right? We have a super field of an oil field that was huge. Um, And then there's, it's just surrounded by farming. We have some of the world's worst air quality. Um, It is known as like straight blue collar. Everyone in California makes fun of the place, right? So it's not the California you think of. Um, But I loved every minute of it. I loved growing up there. I loved kind of that underdog mentality where you're living in a state that doesn't really give you any respect, you know, and you're kind of just this, this uh, almost a, a dirty hard nosed tough, um, town. That's kind of what Bakersfield is. Um, so yeah. And then I'm, I'm the son of a coach. My, um, my dad was a a coach to the high school levels for a few years. And then he, he got a job at Bakersfield junior college, which is the rival of my school, Alan Hancock junior college. Um, So he was a coach there, and he's the son of a coach who was a coach in the high school realm and was also a coach at Bakersfield College. He was there for 35 years as the offensive line coach and then the offensive coordinator as time went on. Um, So, yeah, I had a – and my mom is a self-employed accountant, so she worked from home. So I had a a pretty uh, awesome childhood where I got to – I was – got to be around sports all the time with my dad being a coach. And I was always the ball boys, ball boy for the teams and just loved football, loved, loved basketball, loved, loved all sports. And, and then I got to go home and my mom was always home, even though she worked from home, she was always there. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was a great childhood. And even though I lived in kind of a, a tough town, um, we had great access to all the things that are California, right? I mean, you have the mountains, an hour away you could get to the beach in a couple hours so um yeah so it was I no complaints about my childhood I had an awesome upbringing for sure so
0: it does sound awesome now I want to make sure I hit on this I'm gonna come back to another question here in a little bit but what when did you know since you had two generations of coaching coaches in your family when did you know and decide that you wanted to be a coach
1: I would say at the ripe age of six roughly um no I always knew you know obviously any any kid that loves sports when when he's young he thinks he's going to play in the NFL and the NBA like I thought that's what I was going to do I was going to go both ways there right Mm -hmm. um NFL NBA um make a little make a little pocket change along the way but no um I always knew always knew I wanted to be a coach I just I idolized my my dad and grandpa still do really um Love them to death. And they're my biggest mentors in life. And, and um, so I always knew that I wanted to coach football. Um, So um, always thought I would end up the head coach at Bakersfield College, which again, is funny, because I'm, you know, the, the, in uh, reference to your question earlier about like, what I thought you were crazy, if you said where I would be in 10 years from 10 years ago, that's the only thing that would be kind of crazy. It's like, whoa, rival school, huh? Wow. Nice. So – but, yeah, always knew. Always knew I wanted to be be a football coach.
0: Love it. I love that.
1: Maybe one day you'll be able to get
0: the head job at Bakersfield.
1: I don't know the situation over there, but they would be – Well, they're my rival, Mac, so um, I hate those guys, and I want to beat them with everything I've got.
0: This is true. This is true. Okay, moving on. Um, Okay, going into high school, I'm assuming you were athletic. Is this true?
1: Um. I thought I was really athletic. Yeah. Um, Come to find out, I was average. But yeah, I thought I was.
0: What sports did you all play in high school?
1: Um, I was football, basketball only. And interesting story about that. So I, you know, football was always my number one. I always loved it. And um, freshman year, you know, the, the, you know, high school, the competitiveness just ups, obviously, right, from when you're you're just kind of playing rec ball as a junior high kid or whatever. And um, so I get into high school, played my my freshman season, went to my first practice of basketball. And you were a basketball player and a football player. You know what happens the first day when you get back from football. I thought I was going to die, right? Yep. And they just ran me, no mercy, just ran me and ran me. So I went home that night and I cried. And I was like, Dad, I don't want to play. I'm done. I don't want to play. He's like, And my dad never, he was always so good about not telling me what I should do. He was just like, Yep, yeah, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But he said, just so you know, if you quit, you're gonna regret it. I was like, Dad, gummit. Seriously, dad. I just I just want the green light to quit, you know, and I didn't quit. And I stuck with it. Had the same experience sophomore year. I wanted to quit again. Ended up playing all four years, and I'm so glad I played. But yeah, those were my those were my two sports, football and basketball.
0: You're right, though. Those first – I remember in high school, too, when I came football, especially football when you go deep into the playoffs and then you have to come. Yep. To well, I remember mm-hmm. I had a week until our first game in basketball, and I hated every minute of it. I couldn't oh, – yeah. I was out of breath all the time. when I knew I was in good shape. And it was just yep. one of the most frustrating times.
1: Yep, had to fake a lot of injuries through that, you know, just to get through practice. That's good, that's good advice have. for – that's good advice for kids, you know, fake mm-hmm. injuries, get your cardio.
0: All the kids out there. All right. So what position did you play in football?
1: I was always an outside linebacker and a tight end. I mean, all always. the way through. Yeah, always. And I, part of it was because I was, um, it was an unhealthy infatuation with my, my upbringing and my family. My grandpa was a college tight end. My dad was a college tight end. So I was like, I'm playing tight end. No doubt. You know, even though I mean, looking at my body type, I probably would have been better at something else. Um, but that's what I did, and I, you know, shoot, I it it uh, I went all the way through college playing that the, that position. So, but yeah, I was always a a tight end, tight end, H back, you know, something of that realm, and um, and in high school, outside linebacker, not a very good one, but I played outside linebacker. Yeah,
0: I don't know if I can see you necessarily tackling anybody.
1: I have a, oh man, I was so ah, that was bad. yeah I. I I wish I had more. I just wish I was more aggressive. Looking back at it now that I'm coaching on the defensive side, I was like, "Ugh, I would never have played for me."
0: <laughs> now you do know how to cut people.
1: I'll, I'll, yes, so I, I, I would have been a good. School. I would have been a good cut tackler. I would have yes. been. I would have been good at that.
0: You've been knifed everybody. Okay, yep. after high school, you go to Bakersfield College.
1: Yep. Did you play for your dad? I did for one season before he got out of football. Okay. Um, yeah, for one season there. And, um, yeah, so did that for, and I, I was a gray shirt. So I, I came out and, and did the, did the, uh, did the gray shirt instead of a red shirt so I could save my red shirt. And so I used it as the developmental year and did it the right way. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was every coach's dream in that sense where I'd never miss anything, worked my butt off and, you know, just, just cause of my upbringing, you know, so, um, did the gray shirt thing, got to play for my, with, for my dad for about a year and then um. Yeah, and then finished off my career there.
0: How? Um. Now I played for my dad in high school, and it wasn't always the most smooth time. Yep. In my dad's and I relationship. How was it playing for your dad? I know you're a little older, and it's college level, probably a little different. But how was it? Any. Good it was playing for your dad.
1: It was so short, um, that it. First of all, I I thought he was the best coach I'd ever been around. I just thought he was unbelievably good. Um, but it was a very short amount of time, and um, I was a gray shirt. That was part of it too. So I wasn't in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. So it was it wasn't it wasn't a hard transition at all. It was really easy. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't it was good. I loved it.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so after you finished your time at Bakersfield, were you there for three years then?
1: yep well They're two and, and, and a half year. but yeah
0: okay then you end your way up all the way out to Colorado yep know, back in the day it was Mesa State College it's now yep. known as Colorado Mesa University and I don't know if you saw this I don't even know the new head guy changed the helmets I don't know if you saw this on Twitter did you know, they they went all white helmet with like a chrome CMU chrome Mav head and cardinal face mask
1: interesting okay cool.
0: have to check it out but anyways yep. you worked your way out there Yep. How in the world did you get out to Grand Junction, Colorado?
1: Well, I mean, I had I had a my sophomore year at um, Bakersfield. I I thought I had a really good year, um, and I was on a really good team. Um, should have won the state. Should have won their or the state championship. We sh- we would have would have you know would have could have should have. But had we won the. Uh, the last game cause we were going 12 and 0 into the Southern California championship game. I take a knee to the back when I cut this guy, um, and popped off a couple processes off my spine. Um, and, um, not that I, I was, n- don't, don't get my words twisted here. I was not the best player on the team, not even close, not by a long shot. We had some straight dudes on that team. Um, but I was a pretty big part of the game plan because I was able to split out wide and our offensive coordinator, Carl Dean, he'd, he'd motion me in the backfield and we'd, I was the kick out lead up guy. So I was, I was always a really big part of the game plan and I got hurt the second drive of the game and our quarterback was a stud and had played really well. He was the, the junior college player of the year. I mean, he had, his stats were ridiculous for that time frame mm-hmm. as a quarterback and, it just kind of threw the game plan off, and we—he um, ends up throwing five picks in the game. He had—he threw five picks the whole year. You know, he throws five picks in the game. We get—we lose by one score. Um, I don't know why I'm reminiscing all that—all that stuff. It's not your question, but with all that said, um, so we were—we were on a—I was on a really good team, um, and had made a couple really big plays throughout the year. And I thought, man, i, I think I'm going to have a shot to play fcs or at that time one double a i thought i was gonna have a shot to do it and i wasn't getting any action and my the advice i had from my offensive coordinator who was really my guy i was just like what do you think i should do he said go where you're wanted if you got an option to get out of here mid-year just go get to a place i mean and that's the same advice i give the kids now being in the same role it's just like man go where you're wanted you know don't don't chase the greener grass constantly so i had a couple division two opportunities mesa was one of them And, um, I'm an avid outdoorsman. I'm a big, big fisherman. I love to fly fish. And so I was like, well, Colorado I had a spot in Nebraska. I could have gone to West Virginia. There's some places all around the country. And I was like, well, you know, it is drivable distance. Colorado would be really cool. I'd never been there. Well, and I'd been there a couple of times when I was a kid and I was like, you know, this, that would be really cool. So, um, took that opportunity. And I guess as they, uh, as they say, the, um, the rest is history, so.
0: Man, well, when um, well, who, who recruited you from that staff? I know because we played together. <laughs> everyone doesn't know. Who was the one that recruited you from that staff?
1: I was kind of a self-recruit. So I had those offers from those other schools, and um, my dad kind of helped me out of like, hey, well, let's look at all the Division two schools in this area. So I looked at all the schools in the RMAC, the, um, the conference that Mesa was in. And he was looking it up, and he ends up seeing Bill Stafford is on the staff there. And um, Coach Stafford played with my dad at Colorado State because my dad was a CSU, a CSU guy after he played at Bakersfield College. So he went to CSU, and he noticed staff was on there. So he called up his buddy, Bill Stafford, and said, hey, my son's a tight end, and he's looking for a place to go. Are you guys interested? And they looked at me like, yeah, shoot, let's go. So that's kind of – I guess he was my recruiter, but I was kind of a self-recruit. I love so, it. Yeah.
0: Those kids sometimes make the best players.
1: Yeah, 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 in a lot of cases, for sure.
0: Yeah, prime example is Blake Nelson. And yep, no, one knows no doubt, like, man. But one of the best players I've ever play at Mesa, for sure. Yep, yep, hey, absolutely. You get to Mesa, you got there when they were still good, right? Yep. And then Coach Romano, Joe Romano's the head coach. Yep. And give everybody an example of who, <laughs> best you can, who Coach Romano was.
1: Well, to this to this day, I mean, I've I've had some, I've been around some really good coaches. I've been around some coaches I didn't think were very good, and everything in between, right? And he, just as a man, was, is one of the greatest human beings I've ever been around. I mean, I got there, and I was just like, wow, I've never seen players so loyal to a head coach ever. I mean, he just had this ability to just people just loved him they'd do anything for him you know um so to this day I just absolutely love and admire the guy so it was a great experience getting to getting to play for him and then getting to coach for him for a year so
0: yeah coach Romano for everyone knows out there he was head coach of Mesa for a while um now he's the head coach at Palisade High School in Grand Junction Colorado and I completely agree with coach Dameron he um Yep. When you think about my story, he is the man, and he really has kind of helped me who I have become. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. But, so, now let's go into when you first met me. I don't know if you remember when you met me, but I remember when I met you. It was 2009. I was a little freshman, skinny kid in yep. Colorado, which is right up the road, down yep. the road, I guess. And do you have any <laughs> early memories of myself?
1: Yeah, actually I do. I remember the first time you showed up, we were in summer summer conditioning. And I remember you showed up and I remember this uh this uh long haired long long blonde haired kid that kind of looked like Jay Beebs. Um, yep, that was me. Yep, you showed up and um you kind of had this uh you were, you were just what a freshman should be, right? So you were a little bit timid about just like trying to immerse yourself in the guys. You kind of spit off to the side a little bit, which is what a freshman should do, right? You're not one of the dudes. You shouldn't be bragging on yourself all of a sudden and you did it right. And so because of that, it was like, everybody immediately was like, all right, we can make fun of this guy. And now, you know, you're in the in crowd. Once you start getting messed with, you are in the in crowd. Um, and then, you know, obviously we got to go against each other every day. Um, I got to go against you and, Jake Edmiston, old Frosty, who was um, an All-American linebacker for Mesa. Um, but I uh, got, got to go against you young pups every day and, and um, in practice as you guys were on the scout team. So, but, yeah, that's my early memory of you.
0: Well, yeah, for everyone knows, they all made fun of me because I did have long hair. And everyone used to call me Bieber. And they would um, – it was just like during stretch lines, everyone was just yelling at me, singing songs. For whatever reason, I was the one being made fun of, and it was great. But yep. that year, for everyone, in 2009, I redshirted. I got to watch Coach Dameron his senior year. I got to watch him play. with the. We had a really good defense. Our offense struggled because so we had some young quarterbacks. Yep. But during fall camp, this is the last time I ever played full contact with Coach Dameron, was we were having a scrimmage at Stoker Stadium. I was wearing some really cool socks that Coach Romano gave me. I remember that. And some cool cleats I had just bought. and. Yep whatever reason I got to go in against the ones and whatever reason coach Dameron was in no idea why. And it was some type of outside play. And I came running down from middle field. I'd never been cut in my life playing safety. No one cut me in high school. It didn't happen. And next thing I know I'm on my back and I can't feel my feet, my feet because Dameron had cut me so hard and I had no idea what happened. And my DB coach, miles coach Aver. (laughs) That's all I remember. And that was the only thing I remember from that entire night.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't Crazy. remember that one, but yes, that was my claim to fame. I was a, I was a efficient cut blocker, probably because I was too afraid to hit people in the face. But you know, whatever.
0: We won't go into that.
1: No. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And the other thing about Coach Dameron is he basically drugged me to church every Sunday. Oh he yeah, yeah. A beat up car that he bought for four hundred dollars. I think. No,
1: that no, it was three hundred fifty. Please. Okay. 350
0: okay. with your iPod that had all hymns on it, and um, he used to drag drag me to this little small Presbyterian church every Sunday, drag me to FCA, and make yep. me feel guilty any time I didn't go with him.
1: Yep, I That's that a good them. way. To, that's a good way to witness to people is guilt trip them. It's the very, very. That's what the Lord asks you to do.
0: It was great though, and I really do appreciate you doing that because it made me feel. Yep. I was hanging out with a senior. And then that's how I yeah. got to know a bunch of those other guys and I'm still friends with the older guys. Yeah. Really close with older guys than I am some of the younger guys because of you and some of those other guys that were on that crazy guys on that team, but I'm still friends. Yeah.
1: With them. For sure.
0: Okay. You finished playing college football. You know you want to be a coach. Yep. How did you get your foot into the door?
1: Um it, it, was, it was because I had such a great relationship with Coach Romano. He and I had had a lot of similarities in our upbringing and our background. His dad was a coach. Um, we were both men of faith. Um, so when I was – I took one year off between playing and coaching because I had to get my teaching credential done. And um, then I moved to Kansas city for six months to get married. But prior to that, I was already in conversations with coach Romano and he, he wanted to have me on staff. And so he, I mean, he went way out of his way and, and, uh, and we didn't have GAs, that we didn't have funding for GAs, but he funded it to where he, I was able to pay for my master's and basically my wife and my housing. um, When I came back. So my first year, Coaching was the 2011 year, and yeah, getting my foot in the door really was just because of my relationship with the head coach there.
0: Yep. Let's, okay, that's awesome. Let's. What was your starting salary?
1: It was, um, which, you know, at the time you're like, seriously, that's um, that's all it is, or whatever. You know, that's that's not very much money. But looking at it now, especially talking to some people who's who got their start and they're volunteering or whatever, I was making fifteen thousand dollars. So, um, as a, you know, and then, you know, also I was married too, and my wife's a nurse. So, um, she got a full, th- that's the other great part about coaching, man, is you, you have so many coaching or so many connections within the community. And so, um, the team docs, all I had to do is call them and say, Hey, my wife's just got her degree. She's a nurse. Can, can we get her foot in the door? Boom. They got her in a night's nice position. So, um, we were pretty uh, fortunate financially that God had, had kind of, Wired some things for us even before we got there to where we never really had to worry about it money wise. So we were, like I said, really fortunate.
0: And I was, yeah, that time I remember when you came, you left. I was no longer playing football. It's a different story, but you came back and you coached one year with Coach Romano, right? Yep. And, that, and that, yep. during that year, I came on and I got to help be a student coach, kind of. Yep. I, was, I was kind of around. It's where I knew this is when I wanted to coach. Yep. You, know, you really took me underneath your wing, and I—I had no idea what I was doing, and it was yep. hard for me too because I didn't want to. Co- Coaching all my buddies it was difficult. Weird, um, yeah. But that was—I remember fun times in that little back room. We all took a nap in there one time. Like <laughs> I was on top of the, the table, you were on the floor. Woody was somewhere else, and someone else <laughs> down. It was, yeah, those were uh, fun. Some good times, right there. Now, absolutely. <laughs> Coach Mano was let go from Mesa. I know we've talked about this, but kind of walk everyone through kind of how that was in the transition phase from Coach Romano to Coach Martin came in and just during that crazy
1: <laughs> Well, um, first of all, I was um, – and I'm not saying I was justified in this. I was a young um, – you know, I'd always, I, w- I always thought I was pretty mature for my age. Um, but looking back on it, I, I handled a lot of things immaturely. I was really bitter towards administration for it. Um, cause he, I just loved the I loved the man. I mean, I just absolutely loved him. Um, I didn't feel like it was a justified firing, you know, well, you didn't give him the, the resources he needed to be successful. And, and so I was really bitter and mad about it. Just again, not, not that I'm, I'm justified in being that way, but at that time in my life, that that's how I felt about it. So it was really hard for me for a guy that, that I, like I said, I just absolutely loved him. So, um, it was really, really hard. Now, um, then coach Martin, or they go through the the hiring process and another, just another way to just show you how unbelievable coach Romano was, was as he's being let go, um, he has conversations with administrators and it's like, Hey, I guaranteed Seth a GA position and I'm, I'm I want you guys to honor that. I want to make sure you keep him on that money so he can get his master's done. And, you know, after he gets his master's done, you do what you want there. Um, but I, I would, I want you guys to, to honor that. And so he took care of me and the, and the administration honored it and kept me on that, on in that position. Um, and then Coach Martin came in, who I actually kind of had a prior relationship with because uh, he recruited me to Nebraska Kearney where he was the offensive coordinator. Mm. And so I kind of knew him. And um, he had a, he was really tight with one of my coaches from Bakersfield College, and so um, it made the transition a little easier. And then he also brought in some just unbelievably good coaches, and Todd Hour and Bill O'Boyle, and um, hired one of my t- today one of my best friends, which we were friends at the time, but we weren't tight, real real tight. He was a, a college teammate but a guy named Phil V. Hill. Um, he hired him on, so it was just it was just a really good staff of guys that I got to learn a lot from. I was really challenged by them even without them challenging me to my face. It was just like, Whoa, that's what a college coach looks like. Like that dude's serious and he knows his stuff and he's, uh, yeah, just, just super professional people that, that know their work, you know? So, um, a very challenging time in my life, just the, the reality of what college football really is i was really sheltered from it growing up the california community college system is very unique in their contract structure not to get in too much detail but you don't see a lot of hiring and firing and it was like whoa one year i mean i was there for six months and the entire staff is let go you know yeah so it was it was wild it was wild for sure
0: so during this time, and I know talking to you, because I was still going to school, and I'm sorry that we're all talking about Mesa, but it's where Coach spent oh, yeah. a lot of time together. But yep. <laughs> I was still going to school. I was playing basketball. I remember talking to you multiple times saying how we're going to be good just for some time. And, like, yeah. you running off all the bad apples on the team, going through all yep. that. What was some of the <clears> – <throat> some of, like, the adversity that you went through during that time? You know, especially losing a mentor – a mentor <laughs> Coach Romano and – new staff or
1: you know not not to get into a bunch of details but but um that was one of my um just not just mesa I'm I'm just going to kind of look at my my career as a whole um learning to be a professional like learning to be a coach and you hear things and you say a lot of the right things but you don't really do them or you're you don't really truly believe in them and um I, some of the things I really struggled with is when you're a player, right? You, um, and this coach Romano used to talk about this all the time, but like your misery loves company, right? So you want to find something to complain about, and then you find other people that want to complain about the same thing. And that's like how you bond, right? You bond over complaining and, and really what it is, it's gossip. Um, so the challenges that I had as a young coach, I think we're all, um, self-inflicted challenges for the most part yeah i mean there's every every place and every staff and every human being has their flaws and there's there's adversity that comes your way but um i still had a player's mentality without really understanding i had a player's mentality i i wanted to find things that were wrong and talk about it with other people and like well when i become the head coach i'm going to do it this way and you know which is fine but write those things in a book, don't talk about them, don't, don't bring them up to your other coaches, and, and um, it's, it it just does nothing, it doesn't, it does, there is zero constructive out of it, Um, and, and really, it's a cowardly thing, right, because you don't want to address the issue or things that you think are an issue with that person um, that, that you have an issue with, and whoever it is on the staff, right, if it's someone that, Whether it's the head coach, a coordinator, or someone that you work with directly that you, that you, it's getting on your nerves or whatever, right? It's just, it's just bad business. Um, so adversity, um, everybody's got adversity, but that's what sticks out in my mind of like, man, I was just, I was just immature and childish at times early on in my career. So, and I'm still early on, I'm still trying to work on those things.
0: For sure. And I think, I mean, you're exactly right. And you taught me a lot about that because I think it's very easy to be, I mean, to go and find misery and to gossip because it makes mm-hmm. you feel good right then. But, yep. I mean, like in the Bible, it's just, I always relate. And I try to tell this to young coaches I know, even though I'm still young Guys getting into it. It's like I don't – we think we know a lot of things, and you may know <laughs> a lot of things as, as a young coach. It, but it doesn't matter what your head coach is doing. It is your job to honor him and to support yep. him, even if yep. you yep. disagree. Yep. And that means not going behind his back and talking about – what he's doing, what he's not doing. Cause that just, it just, what breaks up a staff, just like would break up. off oh, for sure.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, and players aren't dumb. I mean, it, we were both players, you know, you know, when guys don't like each other, you know, when there's drama on the staff and then it, it forces you as a player to align yourself with with one group or the other group. And so it, yeah, it divides a staff and it divides a team. And then the other part, you know, as a um, as a staff, it's like, you know, college football, most people spend a lot of time together. It's mm-hmm. like you get to the point, you know, and, and I, I started myself off so poorly because I was so bitter that the guy that I had so much allegiance to was fired. I was already kind of bitter towards everything um, to where then, then it makes you miserable to go to work. It's like, why <laughs> I'm getting paid $15,000. Why, why would I, you know, why would you try to make yourself miserable going to work? Not that I, not, 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 to say that I was miserable going to work every day, but everybody's been in one of those situations where it gets to a point where you're like, man, I don't even want to go in there. And, and like I said, a lot of it is your attitude. It's, mm-hmm. it's what you're doing. So um, yeah.
0: No, you're exactly right. Now moving on. So you're at Mesa for how long? Was it four years?
1: Yeah, it was four seasons.
0: Yeah, I think I think we both kind of experienced the same things. I was there four years too in my first four years coaching. I was, yep. I don't know how you felt, but I felt like I loved Mesa. I loved everyone there. Yep. I knew everything and I was time to go experience something new. That was yep. always, that's what I wanted. My newest time for my career to move on. So I'm, I think that's how you felt. So you took a job at Humboldt State. Yep. Now walk us through kind of, you take a new job. You've taken a few now. When you take, When you take a new job, What's kind of the process you go through, especially with your wife um, now having kids? Kind of what, what's that process like?
1: Well, first of all, it's very individualized per person, right? Like everybody's got their own set of circumstances. I was married and I knew I had worked myself into a position at Mesa where I was full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also knew um, that I probably wasn't going to get a shot to become a coordinator, um, and in order for me to reach our goals. So our, our personal goals as a family, um, and this is where it becomes individualized for, for each person and each, each situation. So I, we knew as our family that number one, I want my wife to stay home. I, we wanted her to be able, and that was, that's her desire. We want, we want her to be able to stay home and be the primary influencer of our kids. Like that's what our goal was. And so I knew even like. I might have a chance to become a coordinator here, but even if I do become a coordinator here, I knew the salary scale and I knew that it was highly unlikely for us to be able to live that lifestyle where my wife is home with our kids all the time. So um, I actually, I, some people would think this is crazy, but I actually went from a full-time position and I moved to Humboldt state um, where I was in a part-time role. So I went backwards. I went down um, both in pay, not, not significant, but both in pay, but also benefited, uh, in, in my benefits. And so, um, but I knew, I just knew I had to make a move. I had to do something to, um, open up my connection and my network. And, um, just, it was just the right timing. Um, we needed we just needed to change, and and we were in that stage of life where we had no kids, and it was like, well, let's go do let's let's have an adventure here, and an adventure it was, man. Humboldt County of California is a crazy place. Anything you hear about it, amp it up a, a couple notches because it's a crazy place. But I had a blast working there. I got to work with a guy's name that you already mentioned. Guy named Miles Coach Aver, who I played for at Mesa, and then we've ended up becoming really good friends. Um, I got, got to coach with him one one and a half years at Mesa, um, so he ends up getting offered the defensive coordinator job there, and it, and I got hired as the um, as the linebackers coach, and we just had an absolute blast, and we won a bunch of games in the year and a half I was there, and it was just it was it couldn't have gone any better.
0: And I, I think kind of going back to your answer is, you know, the name of this podcast is three to one, which comes from Ecclesiastes three, one and just talked about there's a season for everything. Yeah. I think sometimes what's wrong, again, I'm young, but I, I know a lot of other young coaches. What's wrong with some of these young coaches, they want to get to the top right away and they think yeah. they deserve to get to that top. But sometimes, like you said, I remember you telling me that you're leaving. I remember sitting in your office, you're gonna leave, and you're gonna make, I remember it was like seven thousand dollars less than what you were making yeah Mason I remember thinking what what is he doing it crazy but yeah. now that I've kind of gone through it it makes sense because you got to go back sometimes to move forward and um and but just- very
1: indi- but it's very individualized too yeah. like some people would have said nah that's not the, the move for us so yeah it's interesting
0: for sure okay so you're there for home how long were you at Humboldt
1: um I was only there for like 18 months so I got there in January or February and then I got this job at Hancock a year and a half later. So I was there in July of the, whatever, a year, whatever that is a year and a half later. So I think I was there 2015 and then I got hired here in 2016. So not very long. So I was there for two spring balls and one season. Gotcha. So gotcha. now you're at Hancock back in the JC life. Yep.
0: What, what do you think for people who don't know? And I think a lot of people watch like last chance you, mm-hmm. that, that is their version of, you know, junior college football. Yeah. Do you think do you think that show does a good job telling the story of JC football? What do you think? It doesn't do a good job kind of give us a brief into what JC football especially in California looks like.
1: Yeah, and I I it bothers me and this isn't me to, this isn't to talk badly about anybody because everybody's got their own style and, and all that. But I I feel like it's a it's a fairly poor indicator of how a lot of coaches operate in the junior college system. Uh, well, at least the, the California JC system. I haven't spent a lot of time outside the California JC system. Um, the California junior college system is very unique um, in the sense that um, there's limited full time coaches on staff because I'm hired as a um, a professor of kinesiology slash a football coach. So you'll notice that guys get jobs in this, in this system and don't leave. Well, that's because they're a tenured professor. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're protected to where there's not a lot of hiring and firing, which is great. Um, there's obviously negatives to the tenure system too. If you want to get political, you can talk about that all day too. But, um, but because of that stability, it allows you to not, um, it allows you to stick to your your morals and ethics and cause it's like, well, if I lose another game, cause I didn't play this guy because I don't think what he's doing is right. And I really want to show him, you know, I really want to make a, a point here that he needs to change how he's acting. Well, I mean, it's no sweat off my nose. It's not like the ads breathing down my neck to, to fire me, you know? So it, it's pure. It's, it's very pure football. Um, and I don't think that show does a great job of showing the purity of, of what we get to do right it's it's just grassroots like our playbooks aren't first of all i don't even have a playbook <laughs> right we don't have to we don't have to draw up playbooks and and every coach in here is probably if any coaches are listening to this you're like you don't have a playbook one they're like oh my gosh or how are you organized one or they're like oh man thank the lord that you don't have to spend the million hours on a playbook right because anything that is considered halfway fluff you just cut it out you just don't do it because all that matters here is that your kids do what you do well right so we run the power here offensively and we run it over and over and we're not trying to impress anybody but anybody right we just we just do what we do Um, on defense. This is what we're going to run on defense. And these are the things that are important. We're going to pursue the ball. These are the techniques that you guys got to know, right? It's just, it's just the purity of football. I don't have to impress anybody with my play calling or my, my defensive schematics or whatever. Right. So um, to, to answer your question in a roundabout way, I don't like that show. I don't think there is, I don't like the way that it, it portrays, um jc football especially california jc football and what our goals are right my goal is not to get 30 dudes to play division one next year now if i had it i mean i'd take it don't get me wrong. right we'd probably win a lot of games but um do you the d1 or bust mentality that's what i'm trying to break i want our kids to come and have a great experience play hard get rid of some of the bad habits they have right because most of our kids have bad habits um that's either they're they're either here because they're they're struggling in the classroom or they need more development um mm-hmm. as a as an athlete and so you know for the, the vast majority of kids that have great issues a lot of other issues go along with that too right I mean, we see it all the time in the coaching profession that usually means that they're they're lacking some accountability or time management skills or whatever so that i mean that that's what we're about we, we bring kids in and we we take their baggage, and we try to work with them on it. Some of them fix it and figure it out, and some of them don't. Um, but it's, it's a great level. It really is. And you can have a large impact on kids in a really short amount of time. So.
0: And yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that show, and I watch it with my wife, and yeah, a lot of time, this does not do a good job of representing what college football coaches do. Even the yeah. ones, ones at the earlier episodes where coaches, like, the ones that are kind of crazy – I yep. think bad rap when they help a lot of people and they don't necessarily get see all that all the time.
1: Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Netflix is trying to make money, you know, yeah. so it's like they're going to show all the the worst moments of a of a college coach, and they're they're going to, you know, that that's what they're going to do. So um, you got to take all that with a grain of salt, but it is pretty entertaining. I'll give them <laughs> definitely, that.
0: Definitely is. All right, now circling back around. So now you're a new head coach. You just gave us a great inside look of kind of why you coach and like why, what JC football is like and why you kind of love it so much because it's so pure. Now you're a new head coach, COVID's happening. Hmm. There is no spring football for California JUCOs. So how are you handling this going into your first, I mean, how long have you been a head coach? Two months, three months?
1: Uh, Since April. So whatever that is, all these months are running together.
0: And now, so now how are you handling all this that's going on and being a new head coach?
1: It's really interesting that I've, uh, I'm a pretty nervous person by nature. Like I just get nerved up about stuff. And it's like, as I, as I became the head coach, um, it's kind of weird. It's like the pressure's off because I've, I'm such a people pleaser, which is not a good quality about myself that it's almost like, well, you know, I, I was ready for it. I, you know, I've, I've been, I've been being I've been prepared for this or I've been uh, people have been preparing me for this my whole life and it was almost like man that it's it's a weird sense of calmness to be honest with you I don't know why maybe it's because I knew we weren't going to have a season like I saw the writing on the wall for what how our state has handled things so maybe that has something to do with it but man I've just been I've just been really calm about it and um, I, I guess that's just God just just uh his piece has just been like, Hey, you're, we'll be all right. You know, we'll get this thing figured out. So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that answer. Cause for me, you know, I've been telling a lot of my friends like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. My title is a football coach and there's no football. <laughs> yeah. I really don't know what I'm trying to do. It's a big reason why I'm doing this podcast and why I believe in my name of it. Because there is a season and a reason for everything as corny as that sounds, but, um, but it is really hard. It is, it is very hard. So I've been really trying to focus on every day, just be super positive, even annoying positive. so I can make myself positive. (laughs) Yeah. Do it all and try to make myself better and really focus on like at least one thing a day what I'm going to get better at. So, yeah. So during quarantine with your family, Give us the best. I know you had a great time because you just send me videos of you guys fishing, not obeying the rules in California. Yeah. Tell me the best thing you guys did as a family in quarantine.
1: Oh, we did so much, to be honest with you. Like, we're, we, my wife and I, we just have always loved to travel and do road trips and stuff. And it's really hard to do with kids. I mean, anybody that has kids knows that. And we've got little kids. It's a three-year-old and a newborn, but so our baby boy, he was born in January. And then we got this psychopath three-year-old running around here. I mean, she is straight nuts. Um, so we did a lot of fun stuff. Cause it was like, we would have lost our mind if we just stayed here every day with them. Like Windsor, our little girl, she, she might've killed us. So um, yeah, we did a bunch of really, we did a bunch of stuff that was fun. Um, we went on a bunch of like little mini trips that, was legal for us to do because we weren't going and staying in hotels or anything. We had a bu- we have a bunch of family hookups, like, Hey, we can go stay here. We can go stay here. I would say the funnest place we went was probably we went to mammoth uh, lakes, California. I got to stay in my cousin's family's place over there. And um, we just spent a whole week there and families are going to think we're crazy. Cause we got those kids who don't really like car rides and it's a seven hour drive to get there. Mm. Um which we broke it up. We stayed in Bakersfield on the way and saw my, my mom and dad. But yeah, we went up to Mammoth and we did we we uh we did little day hikes with I had Windsor on my back and a backpack and Danica she had Deacon strapped to her on on the front of her and we just had all just bunch of just baby and kid stuff strapped to us. We're hiking up in the mountains and going fishing and Windsor just looked like a wild woman the entire time. She just had fish and fish slime and dirt in her hair and it was just a blast we had so much fun
0: that's awesome that is awesome i i i appreciate that and i remember i just remember showing chaz my wife all these different videos of you guys doing stuff you know, i was telling people i was like man i wish i had a family right now as a coach
1: because <laughs> I know it's I a good time.
0: I, I never get. I wish I had family go do all these things I never got to do. So we were very jealous of people who had kids cuz I know <laughs> I was a coach, we never get this time back ever again.
1: Yeah, like, I know. I, I know. That's so, what I've been thinking the whole time. You know, shoot, I'm I'm the son of a co- coach who is the son of a coach. It's like I I don't know what to do with a fall off. You know, it's like we've never I've never got to do. Actually, I got I know exactly what to do with the fall off. I got all kinds of ideas in my brain. But um <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it's an anomaly. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see this as, as just what you said, like, I'm never going to get this time again, man. I'm never going to have a fall where I can just hang out with my family, you know? So it's been, it's been really good. It's, it's been really hard at times, but looking back on it for us, you know, praise the Lord, I haven't lost my job or taken a pay cut or anything um, feeling for those people that have um, that have had to deal with those things. But um yeah, we've been we've been fortunate. And so it's like, man, we gotta I gotta look at it like it is, man. I've got to spend an unreal amount of time with my wife and kids. So I'm really excited that we started workouts this week so I can get out of the house some. <laughs> so I was about to lose my mind. So
0: I love it. All right, I got last question. Or right, I got two more questions, but um, okay. one of my favorite memories of Coach Dameron is we went and worked a camp in Wyoming. Oh yeah, great time. Day. You know, I was coaching with coach dameron we the camps like went. i can't remember what they went but i think they went like i don't know what but it was like three days and we had two days off and we got went back up there for another three days so yeah it is he, he forced me to go camp yes, i did we went yep. and camped out in wyoming and we fished all day and then we slept mm-hmm. and slept underneath the stars and then we'd fish all day slept underneath the stars and it was a great time it that was, was a great memory it was it, it was i remember we it. hammered
1: them too man we caught a lot of fish that we was did. awesome
0: we were so deep in there i thought mountain lion was gonna come get me any- <laughs> it was it was some some sketchy trains but it was beautiful it
1: was cool that was but, cool i
0: know we i know you love to fly fish what is where's is your favorite place to fly fly fish let's mm. just to say in colorado i'm gonna go in colorado favorite place to fly fish.
1: to oh that's that's an easy one for me the gunnison river east portal of the gunnison river which is down in the depths of the black canyon uh, it's I absolutely love that place. Now there's a lot of great spots, man. Oof, I love fishing that state, but that, that has a lot of sentimental value to me. I love that place.
0: Have you ever floated down the black Canyon?
1: Um, no, I never got to do it. I've, I've been down in the, uh, I've been down those areas I've hiked down in a lot of those areas and, and, but no, I never floated it you would never give me the hookups that you had in Montrose. That would have floated me down for free. Yeah, I was poor talking, at the time, so
0: you're talking to the wrong person. You, you know, you know who you need to talk to. No, I
1: know. I'm still. I'm just bitter towards the Alexander family in general. So,
0: gotcha. Well, one day we'll go back. One day, yeah. maybe this fall. Who knows?
1: Let's Say go. the word. I will be there for a float.
0: All right. Last question. I think this is very important, and it's it's very dear to my heart means a lot to me. So this time there's a lot of things going on in this world that are just discouraging, a lot of hate out there. And just, just rough. It's just a rough time to be, especially a young, a young student athlete or anybody really. So what is like some hope and encouragement that you can give us kind of leading off into this podcast, the first episode, and just to end this episode, what is some, just some hope and encouragement you can give us?
1: Well, I'm, You got to understand first for, you know, for anybody listening that the lens that I look at the world through is a, is a, a Christian lens, right? It's a biblical lens. It's that the good news of Jesus is here on earth and that his kingdom is here. And, um, so man, I, to be honest with you, if, if I didn't have that hope, I don't know, man, I don't know how people are doing it. There is no hope outside of that. Like, man, this, this thing looks like it's absolute mayhem, doesn't it? I mean, the civil unrest there's people shoot gunning each other down in the streets this group's mad at this group this group's mad at this group like it's it's crazy and everybody's got different answers as to what should happen and it it just seems it just seems like all-out chaos has happened but what i get to what i get to um to take rest in daily is that this did not surprise my god my God is not surprised by a single bit of this. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in my life. He knows what's happening in our country. He knows what's happening across the world. Um, and it's all a part of his plan. And um, he promises that this is for our good, but even more than that, for his glory. And it's for the good of those who who are in relationship with him. So um, I'm in relationship with him. Um, I, I don't do a good job of that relationship sometimes, but um, th- th- he died for that too. Jesus died for that too. So my words of encouragement are, man, the God of the Bible has never been surprised by any wicked thing that's ever happened. And he's, he, he's got it absolutely under control. Um, and the more, the more of us that, can, that believe that and can preach that and can, sh- and can spread that love to others, um, that, that will take care of it all. Right. So um that would be that would be my encouragement.
0: Sorry. I love it. I don't think I need to say anything else, but you're exactly right. If we don't have hope in him, if I didn't have hope in him right now, I don't know I don't know how people live, honestly. Yep. Exactly what you said. Well, thank you, Coach Cameron. Thank you for being the the first of hopefully many people mm-hmm. on three one podcasts with Coach. Yep. Um, I really appreciate it. I think you have meant more to my life than I think you'll ever know. You helped me get into the profession when I had no idea what in the world I was doing. You kind of guided me into it, and I'm still in it for for whatever reason I'm still in it. So (laughs) you had a deep, deep impact on my life, and uh, I look up to you in many many ways. So thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. We'll We'll do it again sometime.
0: Hope I didn't take too much of your time so you can go back and uh, go enjoy your beautiful wife now that the kids are down.
1: Absolutely. This is the this is a precious time of day. You get to take some deep breaths. So love it.
0: Well, thank you, Coach Dameron, and to everyone out there. We'll see you again on the next episode of Three One Podcast.